Welcome to Everybody Hates Me, Let's Talk About Stigma, a podcast hosted by Dr. Carmen Logie. She's a Canada Research Chair in Global Health Equity and Social Justice with Marginalized Populations and an Associate Professor at the University of Toronto's Factor in Wintosh Faculty of Social Work. Every week, the show features amazing speakers from around the world talking about stigma from research, lived experiences, and activism perspectives. Why should we care about stigma? What can we do about it? Thank you for tuning in. Let's start the show. I am so thrilled and excited today to introduce Dr. Johan White. He is a family physician and workplace wellness consultant in Jamaica. He's born in St. Anne in Jamaica and raised on the North Coast in this beautiful town of Ocho Rios. He has worked in academia, industry, and public service. He is the medical director and chief innovation officer at Para Carib Consulting. He's also worked in places such as the Walter Reed Army Institute of Research in Maryland, developing new vaccines. He's lectured at the University of the West Indies, Mona, He's also worked for Jamaica Occupational Health and Safety Professionals Association. Welcome, Johan. Hi, Carmen. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm trying to remember something. Have we met in person or has it always been on Skype or Zoom? Yes, actually, it feels like we've met in person. But actually, during your work here in Jamaica, I was away. And we had maybe one or more calls via Skype from Jess's offices, and I was away, and we we communicated in that way. So we actually have not met in person. I feel like we came close. <laughs> I think you were in D.C., or you were close right. to D.C., and I was in D.C., and we, like, almost met up. Yeah, yeah. So we need to fix that, of course. I would love to fix that. Um, and you mentioned Jassel for the listeners. Jassel is Jamaica Aid Support for Life, who I've been working with since 2013. No, since, yeah, since 2013. Seven, seven years time. Right. Yeah. Like, are you in Kingston right now? I'm in Kingston, Jamaica, yes. But you're from Ocherias. Yes, just uh, maybe an hour just driving away. I love Ocherias. I love, <laughs> I have a very good memory of when I was working with Nicolette, Nicolette mm-hmm. Jones, who's now Nicolette Richardson. Mm-hmm. We used to go to Hibiscus Lodge and look at the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah, that's so fantastic. Uh, it's so great. <laughs> So I want, you have many hats. I've read to the listeners just a few of your many, many hats. So Dr. White, if I am in an elevator with you and we're just going up two floors and I said, what, what is your work all about? How do you describe this in your elevator pitch? <laughs> Great question. I greet you warmly and I would say (laughs) that I work with individuals and organizations to promote and maintain wellness in the organization. Yeah, so, you know, that includes wellness in a holistic sense, 
getting you to be the best version of yourself and therefore you can contribute to the organization within which you work but also for your work and life's work outside of that organization so you know wellness is about being the best truest version of yourself and i work with individuals and companies and organizations to try to make that a reality that's amazing and i know your career has got many different chapters when i first became aware of your work it was you had done some research that i still use to this day with lesbian gay bisexual and transgender persons in jamaica looking at stigma and mental health and and i think your your study was quite novel and innovative and i'm saying was because it was a it seems like it was done a while ago i can't remember the years and i know you've also done work in hiv stigma so i'm wondering if i was going i wish trust me i wish i could show up to where you are in kingston right now (laughs) but say i I, say i'm able to say there's no covid and i'm able to show up at your place in kingston so beautiful with a time machine and there's room to physically distance in the time machine and i'd say Take me back to when you started thinking about these different kinds of stigma that you study in Jamaica. Where would you take me where you're inspired to sort of start looking at these different kinds of stigma on HIV or on LGBT persons in Jamaica? Where would we go in the time machine? Yes, I was a medical student when I started working on this and I fell in love with HIV because for me as a medical student, When I studied, I relied a lot on connections and logic. I needed to be able to reason out the issue or topic that I'm considering. And HIV really lent itself to that process in that it's a disorder of the immune system. So your, your, your body's ability to protect itself is weakened. It's compromised. And therefore I could think, okay, so if your immune system is weak, in your lungs, what happens to your lungs? What kinds of infections or diseases are you prone to? If it happens in your head or your brain, what kinds of diseases are you prone to? If it happens in your gut or gastrointestinal tract, what kinds of manifestations and symptoms will happen there? So for example, if I'm in an exam being quizzed by my professors, I could just think by system and I could think about a condition I could name, you know, 30, 50 different things that could happen to you without necessarily having to recite or memorize details per se about you know each condition and about the, the virus. So it lent itself to reason and I could easily talk about the topic. And you know, when I was introduced to HIV, uh, it's a very biological process in a sense, but I recognized pretty early that the persons who were at risk and who became affected by HIV were usually identities or persons that were treated negatively in society in general. And I was just puzzled by by that. I'm like, here is a medical condition that is preventable in many ways 
but still there's something, there's something, some factor, something that is not biological per se that was impacting the risk to HIV one, but two, if one became infected by HIV or affected, um, you know, family members, close uh, persons who are close to, to those individuals, they also were treated negatively and the negativity was you now compounded on top of the risk factors that predisposed them to HIV in the first place. So I thought about that a lot and I read around the issue a lot and I wanted to learn more. And so in my reading, I would also seek out in the university community people this is at University of West Indies. Yes, North University of West Indies, Morning so Campus in Kingston, where I, I did my yeah, <laughs> very nice, where I did my medical degree, and I sought out professors and researchers who were dealing with HIV, and I asked around. So people I didn't know, I'm like, who's working on HIV? There's an HIV clinic. I went over there, spoke with the director, said what I wanted to do, and they said, oh, you know, you need to talk to so and so, and I um, was introduced to a brilliant mentor who was just totally selfless and supportive and just allowed me to just do what I was doing because I was just so caught up in learning. Mind you, I had a full medical curriculum <laughs> to study, but I just could not stop thinking about trying to learn more about this condition and the social aspects. And that's how I became involved. That's how I wrote my first proper research protocol, um, designed questionnaires, started talking about instruments, and did my first study and got published as a medical student. That's and amazing. yeah, and I just ended up doing more. I did an LGBT study because lesbian, gay, bisexual, and persons of trans experience in Jamaica are one of the groups that faces a lot of stigma, social um, stigma, negativity, you know, treated badly. Sometimes it used to be worse. Um, it is improving, has improved significantly, mm -hmm. but I was also interested in how um, those individuals um, lived and experienced um, Jamaica and, and being in a society in Jamaica. So I did a second study as a medical student again and, you know, met even more mentors, including from Columbia University. And we worked together. I visited there. I wrote. Um, we went to conferences, presented together, wrote papers together. Um, so it's been a really, really interesting experience for me in terms of learning and being able to learn about people's needs and to do something of value that could potentially impact people's lives. Hmm? So you're taking me back to this beautiful university campus. If listeners, if you haven't been to Jamaica, you should go. And if you haven't been to University of West Indies Mona campus, you should visit. So let's fast forward to 2020. I don't know when that was. Uh, you're very young, I'm, I know. So uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> I was before 2015. Probably my third year of medical school was about 2015, 2016, thereabouts. 
so we're fast forwarding a few years yeah. um, <laughs> to today and you know you mentioned sorry sorry no i i'm in 2003 2004 not 2013 2014. <laughs> i tell you COVID time everything <laughs> you're like yeah so that was over 15 years ago mm. and so now we're in 2020 and if i'm saying to you so johan what is the big deal about stigma that LGBT people experience or stigma that people with HIV experience in Jamaica. There's a ton of other important issues going on. Why should we care? You know, in any society, persons who don't fit into the boxes that are regarded and favored by the majority of society can face being left out of access to resources and just being able to be themselves and to utilize the resources that are available in society, whether it's healthcare, whether it's, you know, financing, whether it's just the freedom to be and to be your full self and to be well. And in Jamaica, those characteristics that put you in the minority setting, and sometimes it's not just about numbers, it's about status in society, it's about social standing or how you're regarded, because poverty is one thing for sure here that may predispose you to many things, included being looked on, on by certain segments of society and you know putting you at risk for certain um, negative health outcomes and so on. Other things include not so much race in Jamaica, although it is sometimes a factor, but here we talk about shadism. Um, so it's the, the how close or how far away you are from uh, European aesthetic of you know being Caucasian. So if you are closer to that complexion, then you may be regarded more favorably in terms of deference towards you when you try to just be and use services, walk into a coffee shop. In Jamaica, they use the term light skin or brown. Um, and brown here means a lighter shade compared to black or being closer to black. So brown skin here or light skin would typically be regarded as you know higher social status compared to persons of a darker hue or closer to you know being black. There's a real intersection between racism and classism, it sounds like. Classism, yes, as well. And another minority group is persons living with HIV, and another minority group is persons who are lesbian, gay, bisexual, or have trans experience. So once you are in any of those boxes, then in Jamaica, you may be treated negatively and not be able to be your fullest truest self so for hiv um persons living with hiv do encounter negative treatment in terms of in society sometimes in their communities i've heard stories of people being chased out of their communities if you do live with a large family or in a cluster yard mm -hmm. you may you know people may throw garbage into your 
dwelling or where you are, where you're living, mm. you may have to eat out of different um, dishes. Um, your clothes are washed separately. I actually, uh, I actually heard that in one of our focus groups we did with young, gay, bisexual, and other sex with men in Kingston in January of 2020. Mm-hmm. One of the young men said that when he uh, disclosed to his parents, they made him use different utensils. So what you're saying is still, you know, it's still happening. And not just in Jamaica, listeners, right. it's happening all over the world. Yeah. Yes, yes. It's, so, it's really, really sad. Um, and, you know, people may also, you know, face real violence. Like people, we've heard stories of persons being chased out of their communities, like completely have your house stoned or you know, bombarded and, you know, you can't return to that community. So those are some of the more extreme cases. People have, you know, suffered physical violence and threats of violence as well. And, you know, those are real. Things are improving Mm -hmm. in that we may be hearing less and less about stories like that and people are talking about it more in terms of the general public and people seem to be more open to the conversation and that it'll be featured more in the mainstream media, TV, newspapers, and our advocates, um, both representing persons living with HIV and LGBT um, communities, actually have been able to maintain very vocal representation and are very active on mainstream media, in social media, having conversations, not just within communities that are allies or LGBT themselves, but reaching across social divides mm. and engaging churches, you know, you know, wow. talking church leaders about the importance of love and acceptance and tolerance and support and talking to schools and talking to hospitals and training healthcare workers, bringing healthcare workers into the same space with LGBT and PLHIV persons and having that conversation about how people are treated and received in these spaces. So, you know, that conversation has been happening more and those fora in which, you know, different segments can come together and have an open conversation has been happening. And that has contributed to, you know, I think a greater sense of acceptance and, um, and support for, for these communities from, you know, major social institutions, you know, for many communities here, church and places of worship are significant parts of their lives and experiences and school and work where you spend so much of your life and can't be yourself, you know, it does have an impact on your well-being. And more and more, these conversations have been taking place in these spaces. That is so, I'm so excited. You, you addressed so many questions I was going to ask you. So mm-hmm. I might, I might just jump around a little bit, mm-hmm. but I, I feel like what you're saying is that stigma matters because it stops people from being able to be their true selves. And mm-hmm. as well as people are experiencing violence and, and exclusion. Mm-hmm. And then you also gave some really profound examples for the listeners about what stigma might look like. You mentioned, Mm -hmm. you know, people being treated differently in their families around 
their clothes being washed or eating utensils because they're with, living with HIV or maybe being chased out of their communities. And then you're saying, you did mention something I would like you to, to maybe expand a little bit more on. You said those kinds of stigma, those really overt, those really severe forms of discrimination, mistreatment might be reducing. Are there other forms of mistreatment that are still persisting that you want to share with the listeners just so that we get a sense of sometimes we say oh there's no big violent episode so stigma is done but we know that stigma can be insidious it can be in our expectations or how we treat people who who deviate from gender norms or things like that what kind of stigma do you think that that is still important for us to to think about because I think Jamaica is just a country like many other countries where we all experience maybe variations of stigma, but mm-hmm. some of these the ways it manifests is often the same across different countries. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed, and you know, of course, really capturing the, the true incidents of or the, the the true occurrence of these negative experiences and violence, etc. A negative treatment is difficult because people may not want to come forward and report that, hey, I was mistreated in a certain place. So we will probably never really have a full picture, but for sure, the more extreme ones, um, you know, in absence of any real empirical you know, data or, you know, real hardcore evidence because of the difficulty in capturing that fully, the real severe ones like, you know, physical violence even resulting in loss of life, those are, in my estimation, becoming fewer, but we've had occasionally really, you know, big stories, impactful stories about loss of life when persons try to be themselves in popular culture spaces like dance hall. So, you know, there's a horrible story like that in, in recent years. So, you know, the the sense and the hope is that that is decreasing. In the health space, in the health sector, in the public health sector, stigma and discrimination um, are still there, but they've, they're on the decline um, because of the, the training activities that are taking place in health sectors. But persons who want to use health services sometimes are discouraged or feel threatened or feel like it's not a place that they could go easily and, you know, have a health check. And for those who... Could you you give the listeners an example? Mm -hmm. So imagine that I am... Are we talking about maybe someone who's gay or someone who's trans or so walk us through a a person, obviously a fictional person, but what would, what would that look like if they woke up and said, Oh, I'm, I'm feeling this terrible pain in my side. I can't move. What, what might be going through their mind that might happen in the health, in the health space? Right. So first of all, if you are gender non-conforming, say you have particularly feminine behaviors and you're a male, the expectation in our culture is for you to be macho, manly wherever you go. And if you are not well received and supported in your own household, then getting the support, especially if you're a young person, to even get the bus fare to go to the clinic is an issue. Wow. Right. 
leaving your house is an issue. If you want to use public transportation, if you are of gender typical behaviors, then you will encounter name calling on the so, public transportation. So at, from the moment you wake up, you have to think, Am I get, are my parents or family accepting me? Will they give me money for the bus? And then you get on the yes. bus, and if you yes. don't fit into what a man is supposed to look like, you could get right. called. So before mm-hmm. you even get to the clinic, it's sounding mm-hmm. stressful. Yes, and when you do get to the clinic, you have to pass the security officers who are manning the gates. And you, you know, we do know stories of people being pointed out um, as being gay or even their HIV status disclosed. Or if you want to go to a particular section of a clinic or a particular office, you know, there are comments about your sexuality and about your HIV status. When you do get into the clinic, you have to wait in a waiting area where there are other persons also waiting. Mm. And if you're gender typical, if you're feminine, if you're gay, um, certainly if you're trans and, you know, presenting as your your trans self there, um, you will likely encounter a lot of negativity from you know patients comments and then you get into the clinic you are meeting a physician or a nurse that may not be comfortable or trained or prepared or even outright discriminatory towards you Um, so that interaction you can't even really say that you have a pain in your side without it being ascribed to maybe you had anal sex and so you shouldn't be doing that that's why you have a belly pain certain things being ascribed to your sexuality that has nothing to do with your physical symptoms per se and then you don't get to disclose what's really concerning you you don't get care in a way that is considerate of your full identity and you're rushed out of the office, you're not even sure that you're going to take any tablets that are prescribed for you because you don't know what they're for. So it is a full spectrum. It can really be a piece of work to be able to, you know, take tremendous effort to be able to walk into a clinic or visit a clinic, for example. Johan, you know what is is hitting me right now is how similar the stories are regardless of many different country contexts. So we've heard stories um, in Canada and in the United States as well about just the stress of daily life, you know, the stigma of just existing in the world sometimes when you when you don't follow or you don't fit in with, with gender norms. So I want to get to the last stigma question, which you have already beautifully set us up for answering but i want to kind of get a little bit more detail from you which is what can we do about it you said earlier that there's been a lot of beautiful work going on with advocacy with maybe hiv groups community groups lgbt community groups and healthcare providers and religious institutions i think that's phenomenal i am so excited about that work Indeed. And you know, the members of these communities themselves have a tremendous role to play and indeed have been doing that. And I'll use myself as an example, as a provider in that I've had persons of trans experience come into my office and it's, it's, you know, working with persons of trans experience is not I don't have a lot of experience in that area and you know even though I do try to learn 
what to do and you know to be responsive and open to the client's needs and concerns i always end up learning something like if i miss something with the client will say well you know doctor for me i do this and you know when i want to access hormones this is what i do and i have to get them here and then you you know you have a conversation about how to do that safely and you address their concerns so you have to also be open to learning but there are really empowered members of the community who educate providers by virtue of you know having courage and bringing up their concerns you know persons of um trans experience is one example lg um individuals can disclose um to their provider you know doc i have a partner i have a boyfriend and you know we have this concern about so and so so by raising those issues you start to sensitize physicians and providers about those issues and maybe that helps in their interaction with future clients who may not be as willing to disclose initially so there's you know just by having courage and being yourself you know sometimes it, there is a risk with that the risk of being treated negatively and you know even even worse experiences but those individuals who've been able to do that have had tremendous impact i believe um so that complements the training that is provided to to healthcare providers from the ngo or non governmental organizations who work in that space who want to to improve um tell services for example or the health services experience. Can I can I ask you a, another question? Huh? Because I feel like a lot of the emphasis sometimes in changing society and reducing stigma falls on the shoulders of people experiencing stigma to educate mm-hmm. other people. Mm-hmm. And I do agree that that always has been the case. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering if you have any suggestions for listeners anywhere in the world including Jamaica, mm-hmm. Canada, the US, what can the the listener do to stop stigma when somebody walks on the bus maybe who is gender nonconforming and people start saying things or if they're in a waiting room like how do you see somebody who may or may not experience the stigma but let's say a listener walking their dog or grabbing a coffee or sitting on a bus how can they be part of the solution in Jamaica maybe but maybe it's transferable to other places All right excellent and why why is there about saying that first of all is to respect and, and acknowledge the agency of persons in the community not yes. necessarily to say it's their responsibility but it's it's made it's contributed to improving the environment for sure absolutely um, i think yeah. about how pride in jamaica has grown how exactly. the international exactly. day, i went to the international day against homophobia it was so incredible i think the activism mm-hmm. is so powerful and important mm-hmm. and it's amazing Yes, and to answer your question about persons who are not necessarily directly affected by stigma, but in a way we everyone is because let's take for example, um you are the beneficiary of deference because you fall into one of the good categories. In a way, that's kind of the reverse end or spectrum of stigma by accepting a compliment or praise because 
you have an attribute that is more favored in the society. So, for example, here we, we spoke about shadism and mm-hmm. a sort of racism for persons with um, straight hair or curly or, um, you know, hair that resembles European or Caucasian hair, they may receive compliments that you have pretty hair, mm-hmm. right, in Jamaica. But yes. if you do not stop to recognize that if you accept that compliment and it's on the premise that because your hair is not like black people's hair and you refuse or fail to point that out, then you're reinforcing the stigma. You know, why not stop and ask, why did you use the term pretty hair? Does this mm. mean that if I didn't have straight hair, I have ugly hair? So I heard when, someone on my um, Instagram did a beautiful Nanaba Duncan actually a long time ago on her Instagram. She mm-hmm. said, I can't really remember the exact in- interaction, but someone said to her, oh, your, your kids have good hair and she said oh all hair is beautiful and good hair and i was just like wow that's a really beautiful way of of interrupting you know if somebody is is what you just said is so important Mm -hmm. is is some who's benefiting from stigma and if it's straight people saying like oh you're a real man or you know you're you're doing the good thing or the right thing it's up to the straight people to say oh all relationships are equally important and deserving of rights. Exactly, because our silence reinforces and strengthens that stigma and we miss a teaching moment, uh, an educating moment. Um, So that's the first thing I would say. And the second is that speaking of, you are in a space where people are becoming threatening and violent towards an individual who has posed no threat to them. So in a clinic, for example, a gender non-conforming, you know, openly gay person comes in and is waiting to be seen and then people in the clinic are starting to talk negatively, pushing him around and you sit there shaking your head. It's, it's not enough to shake your head. Mm-hmm. You can actually speak up and point out to them that, yeah, that individual did not threaten you. They're not affecting you. Let them be. You know, you know, it could be somebody's, you know, he's actually somebody's brother, somebody's child, you know, somebody's family member. So speaking up when we observe these things, if you're on the bus and people are threatening and treating, you know, other people um, negatively, then, you know, we can speak up whether or not we are a part of that identity or that group. So speaking up is really important. And I'd also add to that, educating ourselves um, in, in that learning more about the things that we seem not to understand. Mm-hmm. So rather than shunning or shying away from issues around sexual identity and sexual orientation, read about it, try to reach out to people or actually be more receptive or open to a conversation with persons in your workspace who are gay. You know, you're trying to understand more the why behind it. A lot of people think that you're gay by choice. But if you really do talk to somebody about, so when did you realize you're gay? And people will tell you from as long as I know myself, three years old or four, I knew that, you know, I was different from my peers, etc. And then you, if you listen to their stories growing up and the, the various stages of their, their lives, you can learn about what it means to be, to be gay. So being open 
to, to conversation and leaning into uncomfortable conversations about things that mm-hmm. um, you may not understand. Um, and over time, you, you become empowered and you start seeing people for their humanity. I love that. You're so amazing. I love how you you painted this picture of that centers in the example of LGBT stigma, LGBT activism, and then also the role of the healthcare provider and being open and how we can all be learning and that we should be educating ourselves and that we need to use our voices. And we also need to recognize when when the privilege is benefiting us and yes. try to challenge that. You're so brilliant. Our time is almost up and I want to ask you some wild card questions. Are you, are you ready? I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the <laughs> these questions are a chance for the listeners to get to know the real Dr. Johan White. Okay. Number one. What are you binging or watching on Netflix right now? Uh, I binge on documentaries. I'm really so boring. I'm sorry. <laughs> What's I'm, the last one you watched that was good? Um, I, I watched one on Nina Simone. Mm. Just that beautiful capture of an artist and her activism. I had goosebumps watching the whole thing because I like learning. I like learning about people's lives. So I'll, I'll, I go for documentaries. Series, I don't do series very well because I feel like the story is being dragged on, dragged on, dragged on. I, can't, I just want to know what happened. So I'm not good with series at all. So you're, you're learning and being inspired. Um, yes. Amazing. I, I love that. My mm. second question, wildcard question, is if you could go anywhere in the world for dinner with anybody living or dead, imagine there's no COVID restrictions, where would you go and who would you take? Oh, Lord. <laughs> Henry Ford. Really? Yeah. I, he's one of the inventors and innovators that I read and about and I follow and I, I I love that story. I would probably join him and those guys who used to go hunting together. I don't remember if Carnegie was a part of that posse, but there were quite a few of them who used to hang out together. The, the and Thomas Edison, if I recall correctly. So I want to join him on one of those trips. <laughs> so you want you want um, to hang out with some inventors? Yes, and innovators for sure. And but I also have to say Oprah Winfrey. Oh, oh I, I love I love this is the first podcast where someone has <laughs> has orchestrated a group dinner of people yes. living and dead. Uh, where would you take where where would you take everyone for dinner? Um, I it would probably be somewhere outdoors because I have a picture in my mind. Actually, it's in uh, I think I saw it on one of those documentaries where there was a group picture of them outdoors, and Rockefeller also I think was there. Um, so I read about those people, I read their bios and their invention and challenges that they had, and I would definitely want to go outdoors with them. And I also know that Oprah loves outdoors with greenery when she does um soul super soul sundays she's outdoors doing that on her lawn so definitely outside so maybe you take them somewhere in jamaica beautiful ocean side i don't know yeah like yeah portland trident hotel oh 
<laughs> I've never been there. How am I not nice. there? Next time I come, I don't know. Is this a? Is this like a? Since you're bringing Oprah, that I'm imagining it's a very fancy place. Yes, and she has stayed here. <laughs> I've been told. So <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> I, I love this. Okay, I you know let me know when the dinner is. I'll see if I can make it. Um, <laughs> so my last question to you is is there any piece of advice or wisdom that has stayed with you or helped you that you want to share with the listeners Mm, i would say dare to dare to dream and think big and you know pursue them you know don't be restricted by what your loved ones or family or even mentors think that you are capable of or not capable of because sometimes they may end up projecting their own limitations and self-imposed restrictions on you don't and it happens very 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 commonly as an entrepreneur i mean your family and loved ones and friends yes they may really do have your best interest at heart but sometimes they they project that sense of their own lost opportunities and restrictions onto you so don't let those limitations also affect you so dream big as you know growing up i had a cousin who was a physician debbie she said to me you know aim for the skies and if you you know if you fall short you'll end up in the clouds so you know which is still pretty high so it aim is high, high. And, you know, work <laughs> toward to dream big uh write down your dreams and just go after them is what I would say. And, you know, I could throw one more in there, which is the power of your mind. Um, Your mind has a propensity to cling on to the most negative possibilities of every experience. Your mind feeds on that. And so you have to actually be deliberate in retraining your thinking to focus on the positives, looking at the positive end, because the more you think about negative things, the more it brings you down into a negative spiral and depression and thinking about the positive outcomes and the things that worked out for you and being grateful for those things. It takes a little bit of work, but with practice, you, you know, you become less stressed. You, your interaction with people is better. Your relationships are more fulfilling. You get closer to your dreams don't get caught up on negativity and negative thinking. When they start coming into your mind, just be deliberate in saying, I'm not going down that hole. I'm going to be deliberately positive and grateful in my thoughts. I love it, especially in these challenging COVID-19 times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If I don't need to hear that it's unprecedented anymore. <laughs> it's unprecedented. You're like, okay, I know it's unprecedented. And there's challenges. And let's, you know, as you said, gratitude is a very powerful way of, of stopping ourselves from falling into these sort of worry or anxiety. Exactly. Um, spaces, which is, is so much a reality, you, you know, in these unprecedented times. <laughs> Thank you so much. I love your, your wisdom. I'm going to write it down. Um, and, and thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure interacting with you and learning from you. I love the flow of the conversation, the way you, um, you took me back down memory lane. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was so grateful that, that you're, you're a, a guest on today's show. And I'm going to, listeners, you can find Dr. Johan White's information with a link 
by the podcast. And can I just request that the next time I'm in Jamaica, we connect for a cold beverage with an ocean view. That's all I'm asking. Yes. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> Maybe some Absolutely. fresh fish or something like that. Oh, man. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you again so much. Wishing you the best in your journey of your your multi-faceted journey of being an inventor, an entrepreneur, a doctor, you know, you're just amazing. Thank you. Yes, and thank you, Carmen. Thank you for the work that you do for, you know, leaving Canada and coming here, working with us, um, being so passionate about your work. And congrats on this podcast. I, I'm really hoping that it reaches as far as possible and persons can be impacted by these stories and your voice. You really do have and have been contributing so much to the world and to people's lives and it's amazing that you're so driven to be able to do that very very inspiring to watch your work and to read your work and to share these experiences with you thank you so much this is so beautiful and kind thank you thank you Thank you for listening to Everybody Hates Me, Let's Talk About Stigma, a podcast hosted by Dr. Carmen Logie. Join us next week for more inspiring and motivating conversations with stigma leaders from around the world. Mm-hmm.